When I come to Old Old Testament passages like this, these long, big narratives, I get a little nervous. So I appreciate uh, your prayers as we go through this. Um, Hopefully we will keep moving. Some of you probably think of some past series in Isaiah and Jeremiah that were kind of long. Um, Yes, I see some people (laughs) shaking their heads. And probably it was way, way too long, but uh, hopefully we'll keep moving as we make our way through uh, 1 Samuel. We find ourselves in an election year, and uh, there's a lot of things going on in the news, and we hear about people running for offices. And uh, we recognize, I think very clearly, the importance of a good leader, of good leaders. And uh, this is really... I think, helpful as we begin this series in 1 Samuel, because we are going to be seeing here that God himself is going to raise up a leader. Ultimately, that leader and king will be the Lord Jesus Christ. But we find the roots of it back here in 1 and 2 Samuel. And uh, this series is called A King After God's Own Heart. And today we want to look at just some introductory things. First of all, the book itself. The book is divided in our English Bibles in 1st and 2nd Samuel, but in the Hebrew Bible it originally was just all one big book. Uh, But later translations of the scriptures uh, broke it up into two separate books. But really, it's one book and it has uh, one coherent story. Um, So this is the book that we'll be looking at, the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. What about the authorship? Well, it has the name Samuel over uh, over it, and he is not the author of it. Many books are like that. Um, They have the name of the author, but this is not one of them. Um, Samuel... uh, no doubt, was one who contributed uh, information. He kept records. We read about this in First uh, Chronicles 29, verses 29 and 30. It says there, now the acts of King David, he's the primary uh, character in the, these books. Now the acts of King David from first to last are written in the chronicles of Samuel, the seer or the prophet, and in the chronicles of Nathan, the prophet, and the, the uh, chronicles of Gad, the seer. So here are three men, one of them Samuel, who were keeping records of the events uh, of his own day concerning this key person, King David. So even though Samuel did not write, write this book, he evidently contributed to it. We don't know exactly who wrote it. Um, There are different ideas. Some have said possibly Nathan or Gad, uh, but we don't know for sure. But we do know this according to what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture has been given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for us. And so even though, again, we do not know exactly who it was, we know that it is the word of God. And Peter tells us that these holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So whoever it was has given to us, not his own word, but he has given to us the inspired word of God himself. So we have here 
these divinely inspired oracles that come from God that are profitable for us, even though it's been 3,000 years ago that these things would have been written. As far as the date of the writing, again, we do not know. Um, Many believe that it was soon after uh, David had passed. Somebody that was close to him knew him, had written these things. Uh, Again, we're not sure about the date. Some make it later than that. So that's all we need to say about those things in terms of introduction. But what about, secondly, the times? The times in which we find ourselves in First and Second Samuel. I've kind of given you a timeline there in your notes. I think it's very helpful, uh, at least for me, when you think about history, Bible history, um, just some of the key dates. We can think about Jesus Christ, the beginning of uh, of the of of the of the new AD, um, and if you go back a thousand years, you can come to King David. He's around a thousand BC. If you go back another thousand years, you come to the man Abraham. Some key figures again in Old Testament history, and uh, so the time period that we're looking at is the time between Christ and Abraham right in the middle, and this is the man David and the time of what's called the United Monarchy. So leading up to this, we find the patriarchs back at 2000 with Abraham and his sons, and then we have about almost a little less than 1,500. We have the Exodus when Joshua or Moses brings the children of Israel out of Egypt And then we have the time of wilderness wanderings, and then we have what's called the conquest. And this was the time in which Joshua brings the children of Israel into the promised land under his leadership. That lasted, I think, about 25 years. And then following that, we have what is called the period of the judges. This was a period of approximately about 300 years And this then leads us into the time that we are looking at now, and that is the time of the monarchy. This is now going to be the first king and the second king of Israel, Uh, and this is referred to as the united monarchy. So there will be Saul, and there will be David, and then David's son, Solomon. So this is where we are at in the times. Now, it is in the book of Um, Samuel, that we find a transition. We find a transition, and this seems to be kind of the main event, the significant event that takes place in these books um, that we'll be looking at, and it's it's a significant event in terms of the story of redemption. And what we see here is there is going to be a transition a transition from what is a loose confederation of 12 tribes into a monarchy. Um, As we follow Joshua's conquest and the settlement into the land, they receive the promised inheritance. This is followed by the time of the judges. This is a very dark time in the history of Israel. Um, In spite of the conquest and God bringing them into the land and bringing judgment upon 
The Canaanites that were there, they were the instrument in the hand of God to bring judgment on these ungodly nations and to give to them a land that was promised to them, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of blessing. And God had done amazing things for them as they came into the land. But here we find them, like the children of Israel in the wilderness, again, forgetting these things that God had done for them. And what we find is that they are given over to idolatry. It's a time of chaos, a time of decline. We find that there is really, in large part, there is no faithful covenant obedience to the, to, to the Lord their God. So they break the commands, they break the Mosaic covenant. And you remember in Deuteronomy 28 that God had told Israel that as you go into this land, as you obey me, I will bless you. And he speaks about the abundance of blessing that they will know. But if you disobey me, I will bring great calamity upon you. And we see much of that taking place here as they are unfaithful to the covenant that God had made with them through Moses. We find that these uh, things do not go well for them. And we find gross sin and great idolatry. This nation that was called to be the kingdom, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation devoted to Yahweh, they are going after other gods, living in gross sin. What we find in the book of Judges is a cycle, don't we? We find the children of Israel uh, sinning against God. We see God's anger being raised up, kindled against them because of their sin. And he brings in, um, he brings in a, a, another nation and brings judgment upon them. Uh, he delivers them over to the hand of their enemies They cry out for God's help in this time, and then God would raise up a judge who would be a deliverer, who would help them, and uh, then God would give them rest. And what we see in the book of Judges, this is repeated over and over again. One thing we learn from history is what? We often don't learn from history. And that's what we see in the book of Judges, this cycle. And so God raises up these various judges Uh, that would deliver them in times of peril. And so we have snapshots in the book of Judges of these times where these judges are raised up. We have men like Gideon and Samson and even a woman, Deborah, that God uses. And uh, through these campaigns, they um, are saved from their foreign oppressors. And all of this period of some 300 years is summed up in a handful of verses in the book of Judges with these words, and this is the way the book closes in Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what? What was right in their own eyes. What was right in his own eyes. Kind of looks like the land we live in, doesn't it? But everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. They were not doing what God had called them to do. They were not called, they were not living as a people set apart unto him. And they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And this is repeated throughout the book of Joshua uh, Judges. 
They had forgotten their divine king. And always this will lead to catastrophe. That will be the result, chaos. And that is what we see. And so here is Samuel. First Samuel follows this dark time of the history of Israel in the period of the judges. And first Samuel picks up right at the end of this period known as the period of the judges. And we can already see it as we open the book of first Samuel what the times are like. We find Eli and his sons are priests and they are very corrupt. And we'll see this as we go along. And God's going to take their lives. We see the corruption in the land, and there is little knowledge of God. And uh, so what we see here in the period of Judges is this downward spiral uh, with regard to covenant fidelity with their God. And there's this loose confederation of these 12 tribes. There's no king. There's no sense of unity among them. There's this, just this loose confederation. There's no central leadership. They're weak and they are vulnerable. There's a present threat at this particular time, and it is the nemesis for Israel is the Philistines. We'll be learning about the Philistines as we go through this book. They are down near the area that we think about today in the news, the area of Gaza, and this is kind of southeast, of, and it's right on the Mediterranean seacoast, but this is the nemesis of Israel, and uh, they have a monopoly uh, of manufacturing iron, so they're technically advanced, and Israel is dependent upon them when they want to sharpen their plows. They have to go down to the Philistines, so the Israelites are kind of like the hillbillies, and the, uh, the Philistines are a little more technically advanced, and so they have an advantage and there are few swords even among the people of Israel. And so we see the situation in which they find themselves. And it looks bleak. There is no one to unite Israel, to lead them into covenant faithfulness. And so we see a contrast here between Israel's unfaithfulness their breaking of the covenant that God had made with them. And in contrast, what do we see but the faithfulness of God who still pursues his promise, his purpose, that through Abraham there is going to be a great nation through whom blessing will come to all the families of the earth. So God, even in this dark time, as it were, is pursuing his purpose even when his people are unfaithful. And there will be a nation, there will be blessing that will come through them uh, to all the nations of the world. And so the book reveals the need for a wise and faithful leader, and the book of Samuel provides an answer for that need. So Samuel, again, is a transition from Israel as a group of loosely tied tribes that have been ruled by judges as as the need arose. And what we find taking place here is now going to show a unified kingdom that is ruled by a king. And uh, the two that are mentioned here in these books will be Saul and and David. Um, 
But the way that this comes about is not in a way that we might expect, as God is going to raise up a king. If you're in 1 Samuel chapter 8 there, what we find out here is that here is Israel now begging and asking Samuel for a king. We read in 1 Samuel 8 and verse or verse chapter 8, and in verse 5, the people are coming to him and saying, you're getting old, Samuel, and your sons are not doing well, and we need somebody to lead us, and we need somebody to be a leader, to be a king. And in verse 5, he said to him, look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us, and notice what follows, like all the nations. We want a king like all these other nations that we see around us. This is the kind of king that they are desiring, a kind of king that they are looking for. They are not looking for a king who's going to lead them in faithfulness and fidelity to the God of Israel but just a king who is going to take care of the problems that we have and protect us so that maybe we can just continue to do what's right in our own eyes. seems like that maybe is the kind of king that they are looking for, a king like the other nations who's big, who's powerful. This is the kind of king that they are looking for. And what we see is that What we might think at this point is, surely this is the last straw for God. They're not looking for God to be their king or God to appoint a king according to his own purpose, but they're looking for a king like all the other nations. We might think this is the last straw, but it is not. Versus trusting God to provide his own appointed king and trusting God to do this, they insist on a king like all the nations. But God doesn't reject them. No, he grants their requests. Notice verse uh, 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Again, we see here at the heart of this request on their behalf, it's a rejection of Yahweh, and they just want a king that's going to protect them and let them to live their life the way they have been living it, which really is the worst thing for them. But God does not say, that's it, I'm done with you. He says to Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. Go ahead and give them such a king. Give them a king that they are asking for. And what we see is that God remains faithful. God remains faithful. And when we think about a king, this is something that God, I think, had purposed for his people, that eventually he would give them a king. When we read of Abraham in Genesis 17, God says to Abraham that I'm going to bless you 
And there will be nations that will come from you. And there will be kings that who, who will come from your lineage. And, of course, we look at Israel, and there were kings that ruled. So God had spoken about kings that would come. And in Genesis 48 and verse 10, Jacob is blessing his 12 sons down in Egypt. And when he gets to Judah, he says to Judah, the scepter will not depart from you. The scepter will not depart from Judah. So there was this anticipation that there would be a king one day. We read in Deuteronomy in the Mosaic Law, stipulations about a king. When there would be a king, there are stipulations that he must be one who is among the people. And there are certain qualifications that were given to this one who would be a king. And he was not to amass uh, great riches and a great army, um, but he was to trust in the Lord. He was one who was to write down the Mosaic law by hand. So he was to be not just a conquering general, but he was to be a spiritual leader as well, one who would lead them to spiritual fidelity to the Lord their God. But they want a king like the nations, not necessarily a godly leader, just one who will lead them and uh, protect them so, again, they can go about their own business, it would seem. And again, God grants this, and this turns out to be both a judgment and a blessing. It's a judgment because God gives to them Saul, and uh, there are problems and complications that will come as a result of this. And here in this chapter, he, he gives a warning. Samuel gives a warning to them as they would ask for a king and what this would look like. Verse 10, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, here's what's going to happen when you get this kind of king that you're wanting. Your taxes are going to go way up. He's going to take your men and your, your, your sons and your daughters. He's going to put them into um, service for him. Um, life's going to be hard. What, as you read through there, what we see is big government, <laughs> This is what's going to happen when you get this kind of a king. He's not really concerned about serving you. He's really concerned about himself, and, uh, and, and, and you will pay the consequences for that. And then we read in verse 19, even after all of this warning, it says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So we see right into the hearts of the main populace of Israel at this time, the kind of king that they're looking for and wanting for. And God says, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me. Again, we see the dark side of this period of time. So that was going to be, in one sense, a judgment upon them. But in another sense, it's going to be a blessing because this is the context in which God is going to raise up a man after his own heart. The people's idea of a king was somebody like Saul, who was tall, stood head and shoulders above all the rest. 
But here is God going to raise up a king who is to be a man after his own heart. So this sets the stage for God appointing his king and a dynasty that would come from him that ultimately will lead to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so within Samuel, there's a study of contrast we'll see between Saul and between David. And as we think about this, here's a quote from uh, J.D. Greer and Heath Thomas in their commentary. It says, the book of Samuel helps us see a key component in the way God achieves his project of redemption. From Israel, the royal line of David will be the key in providing the king who will heal the brokenness of the entire world. So here's this transition from this loose confederation of 12 tribes to establishing what is called a monarchy, the united monarchy in this period. And uh, the main characters of the book of First and Second Samuel, the main characters um, are, first of all, Hannah. And I find this very interesting. The way in which the book of First Samuel begins is with an unknown woman who is barren living in the hills of Ephraim. And we read in first two chapters of this woman who stands out from the majority as a God-fearing woman who desires a son, is praying, and the Lord grants her prayer, and she dedicates this son to the Lord and to his service. And what we see here is what's typical throughout the Bible. God takes the weak and the foolish things to confound the wise. And often in God's redemptive history, we find a barren woman, don't we? Showing us that what God is going to do is going to be done by him. And it's not by men and women and their strength. Abraham was married to Sarah. Sarah was barren. She was elderly. And what does God do but miraculously enable enable her to have the promised son that God said he would give to Abraham through which, again, blessing would come to all the nations. We have several stories like this in the Bible, and the Bible reminds us, don't despise the day, what seems to be small things. Because God's purpose advances with little-known women like this woman, Hannah. God uses the weak and the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So, These events all begin with the story of Hannah. We'll begin to look at that next week. But the next one is her son, Samuel. Samuel is a towering figure in this critical time in history that God is raised up. He's a prophet. He's also a judge. He's the last of the judges. And God has raised him up by his grace. And we see him in chapters 3 through 7. And he's a key figure in this transition. He's an important figure. He provides the leadership that they leave, need at this particular moment in the midst of great corruption. It is him that will appoint and anoint the first two kings of Israel. So he is a key instrument in the hands of God. 
to establish the Israel's monarchy and to be one who speaks to them the word of God. We read in Samuel that the word of God was infrequent at this time. But then God brings along Samuel, who thus who says, Thus says the Lord. So he's a judge, but he's also a prophet, and he will speak the word of God at this very critical time in history. And this is probably why his name is over this book, because he is this critical figure here between uh, the mess of judges and then the establishing of this monarchy. And then the first king is Saul. Saul is a man after his own heart. And really, he's a man after the people's own heart as well, I think, as we see in this book. And so what we will see is the rise of Saul. God uses him to bring about some great victories. But we will see the decline of this man, Saul, as he is given to um, sin and disobedience and blatant disregard for the word of God. And then there is David. And David is the one who dominates First and Second Samuel. He's a man that is a, a man after God's own heart. Turn, if you will, to First Corinthians or First John, First Samuel, First Samuel thirteen and verse fourteen. Here is Samuel speaking to Saul after he is reigned, and it says, verse fourteen, and now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then turn, if you will, to chapter 16, verse 7. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look. This is where he is called to go and find the next king of Israel. And he is to go to the house uh, of Eliab and, and to, or, um, of Jesse to find this next king. And he says to him, when he sees Eliab, who is the oldest son of Jesse, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says to him, verse 7, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And then we see in verse 12, so he sent and he brought him in, that is David, And now he was ruddy and of bright eyes and good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and he went to Ramah. So here is David who has been raised up. When we get to 2, Corinthians, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, here is a covenant that God is going to make with this man, David, a man after his own heart. David, from you, kings are going to come. I'm establishing your house, your dynasty, and you're going to have one of your descendants, an amazing promise, who's going to rule and reign 
forever. Uh, a universal king who will reign over all nations. He will reign forever. So as we think about the book of 1 Samuel, these are the main characters that we find in it. And we find a beautiful poem that comes from Hannah at the very beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 2. After the Lord grants her request and she has this beautiful poem. And what she says in this poem kind of depicts what we see in the book of First and Second Samuel and the ways of God. In this poem, she says things like this, that God is opposed to the proud, but he exalts the humble. Despite human evil and tragedy, God is working out his purpose in history. But one of the things that we notice is in verse 12, or excuse me, uh, verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. There is one who will be king, who will be exalted. He will be the anointed one. So right here we have a a view of kind of the story that is first and second Samuel. These are things that will be seen in it. But here is David who is to be raised up from whom will come the great and final king. So as we think about this story of 1st and 2nd Samuel, this is really a story that is within a story. As I've said recently, I think back at the end of December, the, the Bible is a story. You know, we like stories, don't we? Um, we like to hear stories. We're caught up in stories, you know, once upon a time. And we're gathered in to hear a story. Well, that's what the Bible is. And it begins with this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is the beginning of this story. And all the different stories of the Bible all relate to this bigger story of what God is doing. First and second Samuel are are part of this bigger story of what God is doing. And it is here that God is accomplishing his purpose. And this is a part of this story. And as we come to the end this morning, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16, if you will. And what we find here is Paul connecting the dots for us of these various stories that we've talked about, the period of Abraham and the period of the Exodus and the period of the conquest and the judges. And we find that here is this story brought all together by Paul, as he's preaching in Antioch, up in Asia Minor. And here, as he's speaking, we read at verse uh, verse, uh, 13, And on the Sabbath day he went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customly made, and he sat down uh, and spoke to the women who met there. Um. I got the right chapter here. 13, thank you. 13, 13. 
I don't know if I had that wrong in your notes or not, but 1313. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John uh, departed from them. But when they departed from Perga, they went into Antioch and Pisidia, and he went into the synagogue, and he sat down and began to teach. And after reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue um, set Uh, sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word, the exhortation from the people say on. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people whom they dwelt, uh, people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. So we have the patriarch here. We have Genesis and we have Exodus. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. There's the Exodus. For, and for a time, about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Don't you like that? He put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan... He distributed their land to them by allotment. This is the book of Joshua. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel, the prophet. This is where we find ourselves. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony. And he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. See here, the connecting of all of these stories of the Old Testament, it's all one big story. And where does it all lead? It leads to Jesus. And as we think about the Bible, we often read from Genesis to Revelation, but sometimes we need it to read it from back to front, or from, yeah, from back to front. We need to read it backwards because we find Jesus in the New Testament, and we can go back to the Old Testament, and we see Jesus there. These things are speaking about Jesus. He is the promised seed that was promised to Abraham that would bring blessing to all the families of the earth. He is the one who is our exodus, who takes us out of slavery and brings us into freedom. He is the one who is um, a Moses, a greater than Moses. He is the prophet that was promised that would be greater than Moses He is the one who is the true Israel. When God called Israel out of Egypt, he said, you are my son, my firstborn son. But they failed. But we find God calling Jesus out of Egypt in Matthew 2. This is my son. Here is the true and faithful Israel. He fulfills this. We find Joshua brings them into the promised land. It is Jesus who brings us into our eternal inheritance. It is Jesus who is a greater priest, a greater sacrifice. And it is Jesus who is a greater king. He's not just a king. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Long promised, uh, long ago, that Abraham would have this one who would bring blessing to all the nations. And so this story of First and Second Samuel is just a part of the bigger story and helps us to understand the flow of redemptive history. Now, as we think about this story that the Bible gives to us, as we read this story, we realize it's a messy story, isn't it? We're going to see that in First and Second Samuel. There are a lot of dark places in Israel's history. And we see it even in the life of this man, David, don't we? Even though he's a man after God's own heart, the book of Samuel does not keep from us the fact that he was a flawed man. He was a man that committed adultery. He was a man that was guilty of premeditated murder. These stories of the Old Testament, they are messy, messy stories. And it doesn't hide it from us. Because our story is messy, isn't it? And so this is a messy story, but this messy story leads us to Christ. It leads us to Christ and all that he is for people who are messed up because of sin. He is the king. He is the redeemer. He is the savior who has come to save his people from their sins And as we think about this story, the story's not over yet because this king is coming again. He came once, but he's coming again when he's going to bring in the blessings that are promised to the people of God who will bring in a new heavens and a new earth. And so the Bible calls us to hang on. The story's not over yet. King Jesus is coming again and will fulfill all of his promises. And you know what? If you're a believer, if you're in Christ, if you're united to him, your story is caught up in this big story. Isn't that amazing to think about? I'm a part of this story. One who has been purchased by the blood of Christ to be adopted, to be made a part of the family of God. What an amazing thing to think about. If you're here without Christ today, we point you to him that you could be a part of this big story. And he gives you the invitation. In all of your messiness, come to me, and I will give you rest, and I will give you salvation, I will give you forgiveness, and you will be one who will inherit these blessings that have been promised to all of those who are united to Christ. May you flee to Jesus Christ that you might live in him. I invite you to stand.